Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. Many of us can't wait for 2020 to be over, and the year only got worse after a tropical storm blew through Connecticut in early August, causing widespread damage and knocking out power to hundreds of thousands of homes and apartments. Now, we can't control Mother Nature, but in a state like Connecticut, where residents have among the highest electricity bills in the country, customers expect their power will be restored quickly. More than 700,000 Eversource customers lost power, and it took the utility company one week to fully restore all of them. Some customers were out for nine days. Now plenty of people are calling for reforms to prevent this from happening again. Coming up, where we live, we'll talk to the chair of the state's utility regulator known as Pura, or the Public Utilities Regulatory Authority. We'll also hear from an MIT researcher about how renewable energy and climate change will change the electric grid as we know it. Now, what changes do you want Connecticut policymakers to consider so utility companies are more responsive to customers? You can join us 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We invited Eversource to be on the show today, but the company declined. Joining us now by phone is a state senator who co-chairs the Connecticut General Assembly's Energy and Technology Committee. Senator Norm Needleman is also first selectman of the town of Essex, also a small business owner. Senator Norm Needleman, welcome to the show. Good morning. So tell us again, I mentioned that you lead uh, the town of Essex. How hard hit was your town when that tropical storm blew through? I think we were probably 90% out of power. There were a few homes off of one circuit that hadn't gone out. Um, and I think that was typical for most of the towns around here. So the power outages were quite severe. Um, and uh, some of them were quite lengthy. The restoration uh, began a few days later. And um, and it was slow. Uh, there, was, there was, I mean... It was just slow. Many of us uh, remember uh, the storms in 2011 and 2012. Uh, You are a town leader. When you think back to those storms and the widespread outages, you compare it to this one. What changed in terms of the communication between Eversource and towns? Well, I think Eversource attempted uh, to do a bunch of things. Um, They did a little bit of hardening of uh, some aspects of the grid. and uh, some of that worked, some of it didn't work. I think some of the main transmission lines were a little bit more secure. But when it came to communications, uh, there's been a progressive path, in my opinion, to a much more top-down um, approach to communication. So the communication from the bottom up and working with the people in the towns uh, was very weak. The system that they installed a few years ago to um, to take outage reports crashed, and this is not the first time it crashed. I think since they put it in, it must have been 2016 or 2017, it's crashed two out of the three times when it was burdened. 
um, because of a lot of outages. And um, and the other thing they they appear to have done is they consolidated um, in the name of efficiency down to three regional emergency operation centers in the state. So instead of being able to call from Essex over to Madison, which was the you know local place that they worked. Um, Everything was centralized out in New London, and I think every town in Eastern Connecticut was, you know, out of New London. And the first time I had found out about it, I thought that they were tripping over themselves. There was no communication back and forth. Um, it, you know, I think that there's a value to being able to pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Um, the world is changing. We can do less of that now, but when you're talking about life and death stuff, you really need to know that there's an opportunity to um, reach out to somebody. Every town has a liaison for um, storm management, for outage management, and typically you can have that person embedded in your EOC, your town EOC, Emergency Operations Center. And, and then there are sort of more regional... Um, liaisons that talk about the programs that the, the Eversource has, and they, they, they're more like a marketing arm. They're all wonderful people, but just to give you an example, our town liaison was home because they didn't want them to come into REOCs, which makes perfect sense because of COVID, but he lost power. <laughs> so mm -hmm. he wasn't able to upload stuff. Um, Anyway, I, I thought the communication has, is much worse than it was in 2011 and 12. Uh, more salt in the wound when you talk about communication. Uh, many residents, when they tried to call in those outages, they couldn't get through, but they were reminded, listening to an automated message, that these uh, these uh, rate adjustments that led to high bills in July, uh, while suspended, uh, there's still an an expectation that those will need to be paid at some point. That's really stressful when people think about uh, how much uh, their bills have gone up uh, in recent years, Senator Needleman. Um, ironic, isn't it? Um, you know, we've continually seen our bills go up. Um, some of it is uh, explicable. Some of it to me is inexplicable. And as I said yesterday at the press conference, we held, I'm not sure, I guess as a business person, I'd love to be in a business where I got rewarded no matter how well I did. Um, and I think that um, the way um, cost recovery works in public utilities, you know, partially regulated public utilities to some extent, um, they make money no matter what. And, um, and I don't really think that that's a good model. Uh, plus, there's an enormous disconnect uh, between the company at the senior management level and everyone else, their you know baseline workers, their customers, um, there's this sort of uh, one thinks they're doing a great job and the other one, um, the other groups just think that they're terrible. And um, you know, minimally, it's a marketing thing. And my my only comment is the reaction on the day Governor Lamont went to headquarters and Jim Judge did not come out with him as the CEO of the company standing there with the governor saying, maybe we got the weather wrong. That can happen. 
We are sorry. We're going to work on it. We're going to do, pull out all the stops. We're going to do whatever we can. Instead, sends out somebody um, below him in the, in the chain of command and gets very defensive. And, and um, their, uh, their spokesperson keeps talking about, well, we're going to get the money back, and then goes on the investor call and talks about, well, we're going to get the money back. It kind of it all comes across as quite insensitive. You're hearing State Senator Norm Needleman. He's also co-chair of the Energy and Technology Committee in the Connecticut General Assembly. Uh, there will be an informational hearing before this committee later this month where Eversource CEO uh, Jim Judge is expected uh, to appear and talk with uh, you, uh, Senator Needleman. Uh, when we think about uh, the way uh, the system uh, is structured, it, it is complicated. We know that Eversource and United Illuminating, uh, they have monopolies on distribution. They don't own own the power plants that produce the power. And so when people see their bills and they wonder uh, where, uh, you know, why these rate hikes are so steep, can you, can you talk more, maybe explain to our listeners where these additional costs are coming from? Well, um, you know, I, I don't want to just continually pile on um, Eversource. You know, I believe that as a company, they could do better. I think that they have... Um, not done a great job in terms of how they manage um, their working, you know, baseline uh, working staff and their storm response is hampered by their lack of people. Uh, but Connecticut does have mandates. Um, we have, you know, uh, shutoff mandates. We have renewable energy mandates. There's some truth to the conversation that's going to go on in our hearing about what went into the most recent rate increase? Was it Millstone? Was it something else? Um, how did we get to where we are? Uh, but the bottom line is we've evolved to um, the highest, you know, one of the highest. Now, I, I think maybe I saw California and uh, Massachusetts maybe a little bit higher, but we're certainly the, the top tier cost um, uh, for energy distribution in the country. And um, I just think that we've gotten here because, in part, the management of the company runs the business as though it were a financial services company that happens to deliver energy uh, as a sideline. And I think that's a mentality. It's not only them, it's a lot of the energy companies, and it's a lot of um, a big problem with uh, corporate mentality today. Uh, you and your colleagues, a uh, bipartisan effort, announced legislation called Take Back Our Grid Act. What do you hope this bill will accomplish, Senator Needleman? Can you walk us through some of the main points? Sure. Well, I, I, would, I think we want to do what we can to, um, in the short run, empower Pura with some more tools to help hold the utilities accountable um, I would like to see things like reimbursement um, for ratepayers, um, whether it be through penalties or reductions in their bills for the times that they were out. Um, you know, I've always found in business that an incentive to do better, a cash incentive to do better sort of changes the equation. So, you know, putting in there $100 a day per ratepayer for outages is a negotiating point. Um, but some kind of incentive that says you're, you know, you're not going to be rewarded for not being prepared, for getting it wrong, um, and for taking too long. 
Um, and again, enhancing Pura's, you know, hand today with regard bo- to both how they o- oversee the, the rate cases um, and uh, storm response, I think, is pretty important in the short run. Um, we are all committed to trying to get something done if there's a special session soon. We don't want to tee up reforming the world of energy in a special session. We think that we want to point the way to a bigger agenda to look at more things um, right up to and including has deregulation work for the ratepayers of Connecticut. You know, it was sold as a panacea, um, and um, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure that it worked out the way the people who voted for it and the residents of the state thought it might work out. I, I know it wasn't... Uh, universally liked at the time, um, and I was not an expert, nor am I still an expert in energy policy, but as a very large consumer of energy myself, because of my company, I think that we've ended up um, paying a lot more than we might have had this not happened. So I think that we need to be honest brokers. We need to look into what worked, what didn't work, Um, you know, almost like going back and looking at a budget as a zero-based budgeting. Let's start all over again, look at it. I think we want to do a fresh look at what worked, what didn't work, um, and, uh, and you know, maybe we should just revisit the whole thing of um, deregulation, um, decoupling uh, energy generation and, and uh, distribution. So, um, again, I'm just – I have not spoken to one person – who thinks that it worked out the way they anticipated it would. When we think about upstorm restoration, Senator Needleman, uh, we think about a company that, um, you know, is publicly traded, is making a lot of money. But when it comes time for emergency response, uh, not having enough on the ground people to do the job. So part of this bill requiring a minimum level of staffing. Are you worried that that could um, cause uh, rates for customers to also rise when we're already paying uh, high bills? So, yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, Last year, one of the main bills that I put forward when I first got into the legislature, because this has been an issue of mine uh, for many, many years in dealing with Eversource as a a municipal CEO, is that uh, I talk to people who work for the company, and I know exactly how this system has failed all too intimately. Um, it's not as though they don't have the work that has to get done. They've chosen to outsource more of the work than they insource. So, and, and I don't mean the mutual aid part in the event of a storm. Mutual aid is an unbelievably great program um, that all states and all regions uh, utilize. I mean the movement to more subcontractors and less company employees, less people that actually know the neighborhoods that they're working in, less people that um, that have some judgment about what they're looking at and can radio back and say, hey, maybe we should do this. Um, we used to have 15 or 20 people in Essex that work for the electric company. I think the last fellow just retired. And 
if you ask me what the genesis of it was, um, why why Eversource took this pack? They battled with uh, Union for a long time, and um, I think that the battle came down to pensions. And, um, you know, there's a, a, a big ongoing argument between defined benefit and um, defined contribution nationally, and clearly the defined contribution um, world wins out, except in the C-suite. So there was a uh, major attack on wanting to pay pensions to people. So for a long time, they just didn't hire people. They let it, uh, the staff attrit um, down to very few. Now they have started hiring people, but the people that they hire take five years to become um, fully you know, fully certified uh, journeymen who could work on their own. I guess the word would be journey people now. Um, but it, it, it's not a job that you can say, oh, I want to do that, get three months worth of training, and then go up in a bucket and truck out on your own and restore power. You kill yourself or kill somebody else. So they have to, you know... The charts out there um, show that they went from 750 to five something. But if you go into the five something and say how many are really line people um, and fully certified, able to work on their own line people, it's a lot less. And mm-hmm. um, and I think if you go back even further than the 750, they had a lot more than that. And uh, and in you know, the you're idea talking about of, the crews, uh, 750 crews, people not crews, individuals. Um, and if I remember correctly from my hearing last year, UI had pretty much stayed stable with the number of crews. You know, it goes up and down 20 or 30, uh, but they ended up where they started out in that same time period. Um, and I think that that might speak to why they um, got power restored a couple of days later. I mean, I think with Eversource, there were a few other mistakes in this storm, but I wasn't in the EOC. I wasn't the incident commander. I have to give him the benefit of the doubt to some extent because you're under tremendous pressure as the incident commander in a uh, major event. And, um, you know, having been that in a smaller way, I want more facts before I jump to judgment on on how he did. But I, I was on the... Um, Select, you know, the first selectman mayor call, and uh, as well as the legislator call that they had, and uh, the legislator call was quite milk toast compared to that first selectman call. There were there were just too many um, trees down that they didn't have any crews to get to, and I'm not sure that they committed to tree crews quickly enough because this was as I had worried about for a long time, a regional storm, albeit not a 125-mile-an-hour regional storm, you know, wind regional storm, but regional enough that when I went to a funeral on Thursday in New Jersey, there were trees down. My cousin down there lost his wife, and and they had lost power for eight hours. Mm -hmm. It was big. So if you don't commit to the cruise right away, especially when they're contractors, when they don't work for you, they're going to go to the highest bidder and the first mm-hmm. caller. So if you uh, haven't you're, committed, you're left out in the cold. Mm-hmm. 
You're hearing State Senator Norm Needleman, co-chair of the Energy and Technology Committee in the Connecticut General Assembly. Again, we did reach out to Eversource to come on the show. They declined, but in a statement, uh, part of the statement read, despite the damage being more severe than in Superstorm Sandy and Hurricane Irene, this restoration was completed 33% faster. Again, that's from uh, Eversource. We're going to continue to talk with Senator Needleman after the break. We're also going to hear from the chairwoman who leads Pura, the quasi-judicial agency that regulates utilities in our state. And we want to hear from you, too. Were you without power for days after this latest storm? What changes do you want policymakers and regulators to adopt to make utilities more responsive to you? You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Were you without power for days after this latest tropical storm? Later this month, Eversource CEO Jim Judge will appear before Connecticut lawmakers. And the agency that oversees utilities, the State Public Utilities Regulatory Authority, will hold hearings to determine if electric companies, Eversource and United Illuminating, should be fined for its handling of storm outages. And whether the companies can charge customers to recoup what was spent on storm restoration. You can join our conversation. Conversation 888-720-9677. Peter's calling from Mansfield. Peter, you're on the show. Hi. Um, I would like to, first of all, congratulate um, Senator Needleman for all of his hard work on a very difficult uh, committee, uh, energy and technology, lots of complicated issues there. And I'd like to suggest that um, one of the things that uh, Connecticut can do is to enable uh, community choice aggregation, um, which uh, is, a, is a policy that allows uh, cities and towns to uh, choose their own, uh, create their own uh, community power agency that provides default services and other modern energy products and services. And the reason that that, that fits into this conversation is that the only reason that Eversource is a monopoly utility is because it makes sense to have the infrastructure of a of an electricity sector or electricity grid uh, to be owned by one company. But there's no reason for Eversource to be the only provider uh, or the default provider of electricity. Other other companies can do that. There's no reason that it should be managing so much of the energy conservation funds in the state. Other entities can be doing that and uh, doing other demand management uh, services other entities can do, do that. They're called community power agencies, and you can find them in states like Massachusetts, New York, uh, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, California, Virginia, Ohio, Illinois. And that's really something that, that should be uh, considered for Connecticut. So Eversource can concentrate on taking care of the infrastructure, which is its primary job. And I'd just like to also congratulate or thank uh, uh, Marissa Gillette, uh, the chair of Pura, uh, for uh, deciding to study community choice aggregation, or also known as community power. Um, well, thank you, Peter. Lastly, we want, uh, quickly, we want to get to Marissa. Go ahead. Just, just, just lastly, uh, 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 there'll be a piece in the Connecticut Mirror, the online magazine for Connecticut, the Connecticut Mirror tomorrow that explains this in, in more detail. Thank you. 
Well, thank you, Peter, uh, for uh, making those points. I wanted to bring into the conversation Marissa Gillette, who is chairman of Connecticut Public Utilities Regulatory Authority, or PURA. Marissa, welcome to our show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So let, let, uh, Peter made some good points before we get to uh, some of the points that he raised. Let's talk more about uh, the system we have, these regulated monopolies, Eversource and UI. Uh, they have exclusive access to sell customers electricity. They're also subject to government oversight. So talk about Pura's role. You're the new chairman of uh, this uh, this agency and you know how you can better oversee the utilities and the way they they serve uh, the customers in our state. It's a great question. Thank you for that. Um, Pura, there's there's an equivalent to Pura in every state in this country. They're usually called public service commissions. And um, we operate as a quasi-judicial agency, which means that um, parties have to come in and make their case before us. So it's not just the utilities that come in. There's also a consumer advocate. There's also the attorney general, some other state agencies. And um, we operate, my, myself and my fellow chief commissioners, we're like judges. So our job is to uh, oversee the, um, the proceedings and hear all the evidence and then reach a decision um, based on the confines of, of the law um, in which we're required to allow the utilities an opportunity to um, earn a recovery uh, rate of return on the money that they invest on behalf of the ratepayers. So we do that for a couple of sectors, electricity, natural gas, water, and a little bit of telecom. But certainly our jurisdiction and our reach is is much more limited today than it was 20 years ago. Um, as you heard from Senator Needleman in the first part of the show, uh, some of that's attributable to this phenomenon called mm-hmm. deregulation that um, that went across the country uh, about 20 years ago. So I'm certainly interested in having conversations about how Pura's jurisdiction uh, and ability to hold parties accountable could be enhanced. Certainly a conversation I'm interested in having. We heard both Senator Needleman, also uh, Governor Lamont mentioned that uh, utilities uh, should be uh, looked at in terms of performance. Uh, and so I'm wondering, as a Pura chairman, um, how uh, you can go about uh, changing the way, uh, again, uh, these companies are able uh, to make money and whether they even are allowed uh, rate hikes in the future, Marissa. Uh, exactly. So um, what the governor uh, spoke about and what the co-chairs um, and ranking members of ENT um, committee have spoken about is um, moving more towards performance-based regulation, uh, which looks to hold the utilities accountable um, on a defined set of metrics. So the good news here is that, um, you know, Pura agrees and we opened a proceeding last October called the Equitable Modern Grid uh, that includes um, as part of that setting metrics for uh, many of the the baseline measures that you would need to do in order to hold the utilities uh, accountable. Um, The bad news is, is that proceeding um, is still underway. It has 11 separate tracks. Uh, So um, ironically, we did receive several proposals in response to some of those tracks July 31st. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're plugging away at it. Um, it's very resource intensive, uh, and, um, we, we recognize the change needs to be made and we're looking forward to working with, um, the governor and our, uh, colleagues in the legislature, um, on moving more towards that regime. 
Mm. Uh, you probably heard from many residents uh, in our state, uh, Marissa, frustrated with, again, how long it took for power to be restored. We're in a pandemic. People are on fixed incomes. They worry about mm -hmm. uh, their medications uh, being able to be refrigerated and safe to use. They want to see uh, the company reimbursed uh, com customers. Is this something that Pura can even uh, get utilities like Eversource to do? Um, I've definitely heard from customers, both personally and through our customer service um, uh, representatives, uh, thousands at this point have reached out, and I, I imagine many more will. Um, unfortunately, the current uh, statutory construct limits PIRA to levying civil penalties. Um, we could also make adjustments to their rate of return in the future, um, which would impact customers' rates moving forward. But in terms of the calls for reimbursements on um, lost food or spoiled medication, uh, Pura doesn't cur currently have the uh, legal ability to order restitution. Uh, I understand that that's one of the proposals that um, Senator Needleman alluded to in the Take Back Our Grid Act, uh, but uh, currently Pura does not have that authority. Mm. And in that statement from Eversource, again, they declined to come on the show. Uh, they. Uh, said that uh, customers should check their homeowners or renters insurance policies. Uh, again, th that was a statement uh, in, from Eversource. Anna's calling in from Glastonbury. Anna, uh, what was your experience during this outage? My grandson, who is five years old, is on oxygen 24 seven. Mm. We do have a small generator and I called Eversource to find out if we could be put on the medical priority list for restoration. I spoke with a very nice customer service rep after a very, very long hold, and he assured me, yes, we would, but he couldn't uh, guarantee exactly when we would be getting our electric restored. After a couple of days, I called back. I spoke with someone else, and I asked her about the medical priority list, and she said, all of our customers are priority. And I said, well, uh, are we on? And she just kept repeating, all of our customers are a priority. I asked her, do you have a medical priority list? All of our customers are priority. Yes or no, do you have a medical priority list? All of our customers are priority. I would like to know, does Eversource have a medical priority list? I had asked them, please look at our record. See, our bill for the previous month was close to $900. Oh, Anna, we're so sorry to hear them. that. Yep. I want to hear from Senator Needleman, who's going to be hearing from Eversource CEO Jim Judge later this month. Uh, this is a, a frustrating uh, story that uh, unfortunately can be uh, duplicated uh, many times over in our state senator. I mean, you know, how do you, uh, again, speak to Eversource about this where, again, they don't want to be paying uh, for uh, the damages uh, during this storm, but you see companies like Con Ed in New York that are voluntarily going to reimburse customers for, for some damages. Uh, uh, well, first of all, I, I want to say to the caller, um, they do have a medical priority list. You should probably reach out through your town um, you know, in, in our case, the emergency management director has that list, and we as a municipality specifically will reach out to those people. But Eversource does have a list, 
if uh, you know medical priorities, people that are on oxygen, people that have other health needs, not sure that they will actually necessarily prioritize return uh, of service based on that. If but if they can, they will. Um, I'm surprised that that was the answer you got, but that's just another indication of a relatively insensitive uh, response to someone's plea for help. Um, but again, I would say reach out to your town and let them know, and Eversource does have a list, and when we call them and say, do you have the medical priority list, from our point of view, to notify them in case we're opening up a shelter or a re like in this case, we opened up a recharging station. We did grab-and-go meals for people. We had the Eversource list of priority health concerns. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – those are all – you know, it's not your mother's con ed. <laughs> the way uh, it was regulated and it, it was a utility and the salaries weren't where they are and – you bought the stock and got your 3.5% return every year. It was dependable. Everybody owned a few shares of the utility. Um, this is a, you know, when I say it's a financial services company that acts, you know, that happens to be delivering uh, electricity, I'm serious about that. And Eversource is not alone. Um, some companies do it better. You know, in deference to them, we have an incredibly treed state. They know it. They should be better prepared for it. Um, but uh, people need to be aware that if you live in the woods and the wires are above ground, you're likely to lose power when there's uh, a storm. So we put out notices to all of our residents to be prepared to be without services for 72 hours and, and now maybe even longer because of the pandemic. Um, but still, the company has demonstrated an even higher level of an insensitivity during this outage and this weather event than they have in the past. I was astounded at some of the things I was hearing. I wanted to go back to Marissa Gillette again, chairman of Connecticut's Public Utilities Regulatory Authority. This won't be the last storm that hits our state, Marissa. So when you look into the future as uh, the uh, the agency that, that regulates our utilities, uh, you know, is there a way that you can get uh, utility companies to cut into their own profits to fund storm readiness and maintain more line crews instead of putting the burden on rate payers? Uh, Connecticut residents have have seen rate hikes since our last storms, and this is the result. That's a great question. Um, the the current construct um, that we have to regulate within uh, isn't tilted in, in that favor. Like I said earlier, um, the utilities uh, to some degree are entitled to recover for the expenditures um, that they make. But but what the, what the check is, and it's an important check here, is that they have to come before PIRA and make the case that the preparations and the restoration activities that they did were done um, prudently and that the expenditures, expenditures that they made um, have yielded used and useful results. There's a couple of terms of art in the um, energy law world that they have to come and they have to meet those burdens. So it's not automatic recovery. And like Senator Newman uh, said in the first part of the show, um, I too was troubled by uh, hearing Eversource executives um, make repeated statements that implied that that was an automatic recovery because that negates the role that uh, I and my colleagues have 
um, in reviewing uh, the expenditures and preparations that they made. Um, those still have to come before us. And if we judge based on the evidence that's put before us um, that their expenditures and activities were not made um, prudently, uh, then that is um, an action that we can take is to deny recovery um, for those costs. And uh, that's the investigation that we announced in um, a week or two ago and will be underway in earnest this fall. Mm. Uh, CT News Junkie reported that after the 2012 storms, uh, you know, regulators called for financial penalties to be imposed uh, mm-hmm. and the company contested the finding, which is the right to do. That process was stretched out for another two years until the decision became final at the end of 2014. Uh, the former CLMP was penalized $4.4 million, but they were still allowed to increase rates. Uh, you know, Again, Marissa, it's frustrating for uh, residents uh, when, um, you know, civil penalties uh, may be incurred, but then the fact that rate hikes could continue in the future, and that's what's frustrating for a lot of people. Uh, I share that frustration. Um, I honestly can't speak to what happened after the 2011 storm since um, just about a year into the role now. Uh, but I understand um, the frustrations, and I share them. And I think, um, you know, what I've done with uh, some of the lawyers that work at Pura um, over the past week or two is take a hard look at the process that was used in 2011 um, for the investigation and to make sure that uh, some of the legal um, hurdles that they they faced when Eversource contested um, that finding to make sure that we have um, that addressed uh, from the outset this time around. So. Um, I, I completely um, understand and uh, share the frustrations that the that the customers are uh, articulating now. And um, for that reason, uh, I you know will be eager to follow um, the Take Back Our Great Act and see the ways in, in which our legislature and uh, the governor work to um, empower Pura to hold the utilities uh, accountable and accountable on a quicker time time frame in the future. You're hearing Marissa Gillette, Chairman of Connecticut's Public Utilities Regulatory Authority here on Where We Live. We're going to continue talking with her after the break, but I do want to thank State State Senator Norm Needleman, who is co-chair of the Energy and Technology Committee of the Connecticut General Assembly, for joining us uh, by phone. Uh, thank you, Senator. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, and i um, happy to chat anytime. Bye-bye. You can join our conversation as well. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. With us on Zoom today, Marissa Gillette, Chairman of Connecticut's Public Utilities Regulatory Authority, known as Pura. And also with us now is Richard Schmalensi, Professor of Management Emeritus at MIT Sloan, also former Director of the MIT Center for Energy and Environmental Policy Research. Uh, Dick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Just had to unmute myself. Pleasure (laughs) to be here. 
Uh, so we know, I was just talking about Con Ed in New York. Uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio uh, in New York City recently made comments threatening to municipalize, uh, municipalize Con Ed over poor performance. Uh, we've heard uh, from residents and others who, who would like to see more municipal run utilities. When we look and compare that to privately owned companies uh, like Eversource and United Tech uh, Illuminating, you know, how do they compare in terms of performance and cost? What do we know? Well, this has been a, an issue uh, that arises periodically in the U.S. It was very hot in the 1920s. There were a lot of moves to municipalize or privatize. As I read the evidence, it's hard to see a lot of difference. I mean, um, you can punish a private company by reducing its profits. What do you do with the municipal bureaucracy that uh, gets bloated? Uh, the evidence just doesn't show uh, a lot of difference. Uh, in both cases, if you've got a single entity that really can't be removed effectively, you're not going to get the kind, of comp- the kind of performance you get from intense competition. But if you've only got one set of wires, you really can't have intense competition. So uh, I, I, people are going to want to municipalize, I think, uh, and, and maybe privatize. But I, I think the record shows that it, you don't get much one way or the other. Mm. Uh, Marissa Gillette, uh, can you add to that? Sure. I mean, I think it's an interesting question. Um, I, Before moving to Connecticut um, to take this job, I worked in Maryland, and we had four investor-owned utilities like Eversource um, and one regulated electric co-op. Uh, and that's unusual. Not, not all co-ops or municipalities are regulated by their state commission. In fact, the overwhelming majority aren't. Um, so I think, uh, I think the question of privatizing or municipalizing, um, uh, I, I think the question becomes more, do you want the regulator uh, in the picture or, or not? Because um, as Dick was alluding to, uh, some of those things, some of the problems that you see emerging can happen in either case. Um, and the, the whole idea of the, uh, you know, regulated monopolies um, is that in, in exchange for not having any competition, they were supposed to um, have the trade-off of a strong, empowered regulator. So um, I would flip the question on its head and say, um, no matter what you do, you need to focus on making sure that the regulator has the necessary tools. Mm. I agree with that. And I must say, I, I applaud the movement in Connecticut and elsewhere, for that matter, to performance-based regulation. Uh, this is not a simple thing to do, but I think it is important to explicitly define performance and reward good performance and punish bad performance where you can. Mm. Can we talk about uh, renewables and how this is going to require our grid to change pretty significantly, Dick? Sure. I mean, uh Across the country, and certainly in New England, there's a political movement toward decarbonization. It takes the form of requiring renewable energy. And renewable energy has the merit that it's clean. It doesn't produce greenhouse gases. Of course, nuclear power doesn't produce greenhouse gases, but that's another story. But wind and solar are intermittent. They aren't always available. Uh, Gas plants are always available. So it requires uh, redesign of the system with the addition of storage maybe, or building a lot of wind and solar so you mostly have enough. So it's, it's, a, mo- it's, a, it's a road 
down which most of the much of the country is going, New England is going. We're looking at that at MIT. We have a study that I'm heavily involved in on the future of storage and renewable and uh, grids of the future with a lot of wind and a lot of solar are going to need a lot of storage. None of this is free. Uh, so it's not going to lower costs. We find it's not going to raise them dramatically, given progress in, in all of the relevant technologies, but it will require some redesign. It has some potential reliability benefits if you have storage uh, around the grid and if you have generation, wind and solar around the grid, then it may be possible to sort of have microgrids where chunks mm. of the system can function independently of the rest of the system. That's down the road, but it's a possibility. I don't think it's a panacea. Mm. Marissa, how is Pura thinking about the need to build in these new technologies uh, and also a grid that could eventually be carbon free? Mm-hmm. Uh, Pura is absolutely thinking about that. That's the equitable modern grid proceeding that I mentioned earlier in the, the show. We have 11 different tracks. Um, uh, all of those are looking to come together to create the grid of the future. And I, I think we should make no mistake about it. Connecticut's infrastructure, um, just like a lot of New England's, is uh, you know over a century old and um, in drastic need of modernizing. I, I don't even think modernizing covers it at this point. So, um, you know, one of those tracks uh, that is part of our equitable modern grid proceeding is storage, um, looking at creating a market. And like Dick was talking about, there are reliability benefits that come with storage that um, can be viewed at the grid level, and they can also be viewed at the customer level. Um, a lot of resilience comes from on-site storage. So when you're thinking about this in the context of, of storms, like um, the tropical storm that we just mm-hmm. saw, um, any customer who has on-site uh, generation and storage capabilities is, is a customer that doesn't have to be restored to the grid in a priority manner. So um, a lot of interesting context can be viewed when you're looking at uh, these programs, not just in the context of needing to decarbonize, um, but also in the related context of um, additional accelerated storm activity that comes with climate change, for example. Mm-hmm. Adik, uh, we know that the cost of renewables has gone down, but it's still not as cheap as options like natural gas. So how do we reconcile that in a, in a place like Connecticut, where we already have unaffordable electricity costs? Well, it's not going to get cheaper. I mean, there are a, a, a whole set of reasons why uh, Connecticut and Massachusetts, where I live, have very mm-hmm. high, very high electricity rates. Um, part of that is this, the sheer difficulty and cost of building anything in New England. I was talking to a, uh, a solar developer who said, well, or a wind developer, actually, he said, we, we can't really build economical onshore wind in New England because you can't assemble a large enough parcel for it to make sense. So, it, which is one reason why everybody's going offshore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's just not, we're going to make the transition, I think. It may be halting and it, it may take a while. At some point, there will be a national policy, I hope, that moves us in this direction. And it's going to be a bit of a bumpy road. We've done a lot of work on what that road looks like and what the end of it looks like. And technically, it's not that difficult. But in terms of designing regulation and designing policies to get there, nationally, the uh, federal 
Energy Regulatory Commission and the various independent system operators like uh, ISO New England um, are, are wrestling with how do you treat storage in a wholesale market? Is it like a generator? Is it like transmission? Is it something new? What are the rules? All that has to get sorted out as we move to these new technologies at scale. They will get sorted out, but <laughs> there will be a lot of billable hours for lawyers uh, as we go down that road. Mm. Um, Marissa, before we run out of time, uh, when we think about federal policies towards renewables that could help this affordability question. There are definitely federal policies. Um, FERC, which Dick just alluded to, has uh, not exactly been a partner, um, in my opinion, with the states over the past couple of years in particular. Um, they have acted in many ways against state interests and um, I think one of the things that Connecticut is most focused on is the transmission policies that uh, FERC has enabled or not enabled, depending on your your viewpoint. Um, you know, a lot, uh, when we're talking about the rate increases Connecticut saw this summer, a, a large chunk of that was attributable to a pass-through cost from um, from FERC. It's a transmission tariff that they regulate. And you need transmission if you're going to be in an area that has um, difficulties, as Dick was talking about, building grid-scale um, generation, uh, renewable generation um, in particular. So, you know, the uh, there was just recently a, um, someone nominated to FERC to be in one of the empty commissioner slots, um, Allison Clements, who is well regarded in the industry, mm -hmm. has a lot of experience on that front. And, well, Marissa, um, we're unfortunately almost out of time. This is a complicated sure. topic. We hope to have you back. Marissa Gillette, Chairman of Connecticut's Public Utilities Regulatory Authority. Also, I want to thank Richard Smolensee, Professor of Management Emeritus at MIT Sloan. And we'll invite Eversource again. Hopefully they can come on the show and explain those high bills that we continue to get. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.